welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the Church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godastine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us Dave Ramirez. He is the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Union Grove, Wisconsin. Welcome back, Ramirez. Yeah, good to be back. So uh, the last time that we chatted, uh, it was kind of in the throes of the controversy over the large catechism with annotations and contemporary applications um, that President Harrison had paused distribution, but uh, after further review, he uh, released that distribution. They continued it again. And we had talked about how, uh, despite the fact that many of those defending the the new edition of the large catechism were saying our critiques and others' critiques were just lifting things out of context. We were trying to put it back into the larger context um, of the frame of the world that we were we were looking at. Um, after that, though, uh, President Harrison had released a letter uh, indicating uh, troubling ideologies that were online surrounding the critiques of the large, the new edition of the Large Catechism, and though he made the caveat that he was not talking about all critiques, kind of in the end, uh, everyone who made a critique uh, is being painted with the same brush with, with, with these troubling ideologies. So what, what I want to talk with you about today is maybe touch upon his letter just a little bit, and then talk about the way forward uh, so that when we engage one another, we don't paint with such a broad stroke that immediately someone is seen as a racist or an alt-right person or Nazi. And things online, uh, things in discussions, in winkles, and just among other brother pastors and even in congregations, there's there's more furor, uh, more heat than light that is actually happening. And so maybe we can uh, try to forge a way forward on on how to deal with these issues. So, w- w- what's what's in his letter? Sure. And before we touch on his letter briefly, um, I got to say, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad this controversy is bringing to light deeper issues and discussions because we need to talk about it. I mean, you know, um, divisions must be among you, as Saint Paul writes. And every doctrinal or, you know, tempest in a teapot, however you want to view this thing, somewhere in between, it actually brings the truth to light. So it's good f- that we are forced to think about these issues. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's happening. I'm glad the discussion continues. I hope it continues, and it should. Um, but to the letter. So I'm, I'm not going to walk through it point by point. Uh, I just got a couple comments, uh, a couple comments on where I think that President Harrison is, um, I I don't think that the words and the phrases and the angles were chosen very well, to be frank, with all due respect. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so they seem they may seem like minor matters, but I think that they are are bigger matters uh, in some sense. But then the effects. So first to some 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 terminology. Uh, the first thing I'd point out is that he he talks about uh, categorically rejecting the horrible and racist teachings of the so-called alt right in toto, and then he has this big list of stuff that is are, are in parentheses, and one of them is death for homosexuals, and I think this is like the perfect example of mm-hmm. where I think this was not again in all due respect a very carefully written letter. Um, Death for homosexuals. I presume that that means execution for homosexual behavior. That's how I'm going to interpret it. But frankly, the Old and New Testaments both uh, are very clear that that's a valid option. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, it is true that there is the, the the principle that we do not have to or should take every code or every point of uh, civil law from uh, the Mosaic Code in all of its particularity, we also have to remember it was God's revealed code through Moses to a specific nation, Israel, and that that code and its injunctions um, or precepts, by definition, do not violate the moral code. But rather, that was a particular application and a God stamped approval and, you know, brought into being application of the moral code. And thus it flows from the moral code and is by definition, not against God's law or Christian morality. The way Harrison's letter read seems to imply, or rather seems to state very clearly that this is an opinion that must be rejected and cannot be tolerated in the church of God, that you think execution for those who commit homosexual behavior uh, you know, you, you can't hold that opinion. Whereas the Old and New Testament plainly state the opposite. Yeah. So again, maybe you think that in certain times and certain places, that's not the right way to go, but you certainly can't rule it out. So I, I was I, I was kind of shocked to read that in here. So, you, um, so in other words, like positively, we can't say you must do this, but negatively, we can't say it's a sin to do so. In the very least, in yeah. the very least, in the yeah. very least. Um, so that, that's just one example. Another example is the term, you know, you know, he's, he's rejecting the teachings of the so-called quote-unquote alt-right. Again, frankly, I think this betrays a lack of a really good feel um, uh, or finger on the pulse of contemporary society. Um, the alt-right... I mean, I read that and I was like, nobody's used that term in five years. Uh, I mean, literally, the only people who talk about the alt-right now, in 2023, when this letter was written in February, are folks on the left who use it as a slur against a whole host of people. And it's just kind of like a, a splattery splur, uh, you know, term. No one has claimed to be alt-right for like five, six years. I mean, that was that was a term that was that was never very clearly defined, to be honestly. But a lot of people, again, to be to be fair, were using it five, six years ago. Um, and there was lots of uh, debate and discussion on the you know, broadly speaking, uh, right or conservative uh, side of things about what the alt-right was. But again, most everyone, if not everyone, abandoned that and nobody uses that anymore. So again, it's not a helpful term and I think betrays uh, a lack of a finger on the pulse of what's going on. 
Also, th- th- this is kind of a minor thing, but while we're on it, um, the opening, this is all in the opening paragraph. Um, you know, he writes the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, its president, vice presidents, and all 35 district presidents, along with its ministerium and congregations categorically reject dot, 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 dot. I, 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 again, I don't know, um, why it was worded this way, obviously for emphasis, uh, you know, to really show how much we're against the quote unquote alt-right, whatever that is. Um, I, it has caused a lot of confusion. And so for those who are unaware of this, um, I just wanted to point out that this is not a document that was passed by anybody that I'm aware of. And, and mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've checked with folks and no one else is aware of it either. And it's only signed by um, Harrison, uh, President Harrison himself. I know some people have read this and thought that maybe it was passed um, by the presidium or by the district presidents. And But also in that list is the ministerium and its congregations. I, I mean, I know I never signed this document and I know right. the congregations didn't put it to a vote. Again, I, I would certainly agree with some stuff in here, but I also think that there's stuff that isn't worded well and uh, that I don't agree with, at least in terms of tone. And so I, I just wanted to clarify that a lot of people, I think, think that this was passed and signed by a multitude of peoples or groups, and it was not. This is President Harrison speaking, you know, you could say not just as a private person, but from his office. However, this was not signed by other people. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to note that, yeah, because I, I was I was kind of confused by that at first, as well. Yeah, I was too. I mean, because I I don't remember voting on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, so if this is the case, right? So say someone brings this to you as a pastor and says, "Oh, pastor, you know, I see that we as a synod took action on this." Again, it wasn't done in convention. It wasn't done at Uh, our winkles, you know, we didn't have a circuit forum for this. We didn't, it didn't come up in any of our voters meetings. And so it, it's makes you, it leads you to believe that it has, that it has something binding upon the ministerium and the congregations of the Missouri Synod, even though there's a lot in there that I would agree with. Yeah, sure. And I mean, uh, president Harrison has been elected into office, uh, and part of his office is to, you know, uh, to put it bluntly, to, to have a bully pulpit. And he chose to use it in this manner, whether you uh, like it, hate it, anything in between. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think um, him writing letters as the president is inappropriate, um, you know, abstractly. Um, I, I do think some people are confused about that. So I just wanted to kind mm-hmm. of correct the record. Um but that but actually is this gets really, to is this the, really the is this really the problem that we face today? Exactly. That's so that that's actually what I view as the bigger problem. I do think that it is uh, tone deaf and not focused on the actual problem. Um, I don't believe that we've got a whole bunch of you know neo Nazi um, you know. Uh, folks running around in the Missouri Synod, and that is like, you know, DEFCON, whatever level problem, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's reality. And um, I have to say, I, I wonder why, why this, um, why, you know, all, all hands on deck, 
uh, even offering aid and assistance to rooting these people out from congregations, these alleged people about what they allegedly believe. I think that's another problem with the with the document. They, you know, there's not an identification. You alluded to earlier, there was the attempt to distinguish between, uh, you know, not allowed critique and legitimate critique. Um, but I think in terms of effect, whether intended or not, it really, uh, you know, opened the floodgates on, on some witch hunting and on, you know, people thinking this is like some widespread problem, whatever the alleged problem that's ill-defined is. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's very tone deaf. Um, for instance, this is not a matter of a uh, question. Uh, it's a matter of fact. We literally have thousands, tens of thousands, maybe more, of members of Missouri Synod churches in good standing that fly rainbow flags during Pride Month on their Facebook page. Mm -hmm. You know, w where's the LCMS fatwa on them? You know what I mean? Right. I mean, not literally, but you know what I mean? Like, where, where, where is that? Why aren't we running up the flag and saying, hey, this is a huge problem. Let's get it done. You know, yeah, we I mean, reject this in toto when we right. condemn it in the name of Christ. Right. And sure, you could say we've done this in convention. We've actually done it in more official ways. And yet at the same time, uh, again, you could call this subjective, but I think it's correct. The the sense of urgency and the vibe of let's do this and this can't be tolerated. Let's get it done. Where's that for, you know, folks who are flying, you know, the gay pride flag on online or, mm -hmm. um, you know, we were told in the large catechism that folks who struggle with transgenderism, that's a speck in our neighbor's eye, you know, and mm -hmm. we got to be understanding and all this kind of stuff. What about the, hundreds well i don't know i don't know how many but i would i would wager a lot of money if i was betting but i don't because that's wrong but um <laughs> i guarantee you that there are members of in in good standing in missouri Synod congregations that are um supporting mutilation of children and adults for that matter um in terms of you know training procedures how many people are going and uh you know speaking up at uh, in different civil jurisdictions to make sure that kids can get body parts chopped off you know wh wh mm -hmm. where's the urgency there you know um sure we we write stuff but are, are we going to offer support to congregations to root these people out and to hunt them down yeah. I, again i think it's a it's it's a classic case of punch to the right coddle the left you yeah. see this all across american society and not just in the political sphere, but in the churches too. You know, punch to the right, coddle the left. And what's that being driven by? I don't know people's intentions or hearts, but I would hazard a guess, or at least I would pastorally counsel them to think about, um, are we so vehement about certain things um, because it's anti-biblical or unbiblical, or is it because that this accords with the spirit of the age and it will get us you know, claps from, from the culture. And I think mm -hmm. that's a serious concern. I don't think that's unfair, but I, I, yeah, punch to the right, cut to the left. And that helps unfortunately show where our concerns lie and, uh, you know, where our energy's at. 
and 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 I don't think if we use this as a diagnostic tool, it makes the LCMS look very good. I think it makes it look very bad and not centered on the real threats. Yeah, the that diagnosis is I think spot on because, but what what ends up happening? I I, I guess further, what I would like to say is that those who are actually contending for the truth of God's word in these areas, they end up getting also kind of run over in in the process, right? They, they get pointed at as being witch hunters. They get pointed at as unloving. They get pointed at as um, not caring about the, the particular situations that those people are enduring. And it, it really kind of moves that Overton window even further. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, again, I, I I am obviously aware that President Harrison and um, you know the the vast, vast, vast majority of our ministerium, if not all of them, are against transgenderism. Okay, fine, but but we've got to ask those people who are so vehemently concerned about the alt-right, you know, it's just like a boogeyman, you know, um, why is transgenderism a speck in folks' eyes? And, you know, some young men's uh, predilection or, a, you know, attraction to a political philosophy such as, you know, allegedly fascism, why is that abhorrent? And they must be driven out. Um, why aren't we interested in why they might be attracted to it? Why aren't we interested in um, what got them to this point? Um, why aren't we interested in maybe the the good points that they have? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm not especially attracted to fascism as a political philosophy, and yet at the same time, my first question is, why are we coddling some and not others? Now, I'm not a person who thinks that, you know, it's 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 a, you know, very important thing to to talk about, you know, old. Oh, let's expose the hypocrisy of the left, you know, I mean, like in the political sphere, this, this is kind of a loser mentality yet at the same time, it is worth noting, you know, why is that? Um, There should be some self-reflection on that. And I would point to the fact that, you know, in our society, anti-racism is a religion. Mm -hmm. It's a religion. I mean, obviously we'd all agree inordinate pride or sinful pride in a person's, you know, descent can be bad and it can lead to sinful thoughts, behaviors, words, deeds, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Yes. And, and yet at the same time, we know that radical egalitarianism or just egalitarianism period um, and anti-racism really has taken on the form of a religion. And we, we need to be concerned about the idols of the day. And why aren't we concerned about that idol? That's the Mm -hmm. real question. And I think that there's lots of good, honest people who are, you know, sitting on the sidelines in this debate, or they have, you know, leanings to one side or the other. That's the question they need to be, to be thinking about, you know, whenever you have an ideology that is in accordance with the spirit of the age, as, as Walter talks about so eloquently in, you know, his writings, um, if you're agreeing with that, Maybe it's because you happen to line up and, and there's overlap on, on what the Bible says, but you need to be suspicious. I mean, it's kind of like with um, women in the church issues, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, why all of a sudden is it okay uh, 
for us to do things that our forefathers never did. And is it just a coincidence that these changes accord with <laughs> the spirit of the age and with what's going on in the world? Maybe we should be a little concerned with this. And I think the same thing is true with, with, uh, with the anti-racism fetish. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's, as you, as you have said, it's, it, it, it comes down to, uh, I guess, in some ways, what what takes the what takes the view off of us in the wrong way and puts it on in the right way in terms of standing within the world. Yeah, but the biggest issue, which we, we've already alluded to with, with, I think, this letter, is that it really, I think, empowers and encourages and enables uh, people who are self-appointed heresy hunters or witch hunt, you know, witch hunters yeah. um, to really break the eighth commandment. That That's mm-hmm. where I find a big problem with this. Um, because again, who are we talking about? Who's being condemned? What precisely do they believe? It's not there. And mm-hmm. frankly, you know, um, a lot of people have experienced this. I, I don't want to speak out of turn. I don't want to... I don't like to speak about cases, so to speak, that I don't know all the details of. But I do know for a fact, even if I don't know all the details, that several laymen have been, uh, you know, gone after, um, whether yeah. rightfully or wrongly. I don't know all the facts, so I, I, I want to reserve uh, judgment. But, you know, because they're allegedly alt-right, there's a lot of guilt of association that seems to be thrown around. Mm-hmm. And... This is this is not good, and and this is the bigger problem with this uh, letter that that I see that it just opens the door wide to Eighth Commandment violations. Um, I don't I don't want to get into the details uh, because it's frankly not even worth it. But I had someone slandering me, calling me a racist and an extremist, and writing this stuff online. Um, I I called the guy up because that's what you're supposed to do, you know, if you're mm-hmm. a man. You, you you and and not only that, but uh brother in the office, you, you call the guy up. I called him up. He had no answers for me. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, uh, no good examples, no, no, no details. It, it was, it was, it was just the, the, the typical point and shriek. You're a racist. Why? Well, because you said racist things like what? Well, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Right. You know, I mean, it, 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 I've had similar things as well. Yeah. And I mean, and, and that's also what I don't like is that you know, letters like this, whether intended or not, really empower bad actors or people who are tempted to be bad actors um, to really just slur and paint with a broad brush and not get into the nitty gritty on what they have a problem with people. Mm-hmm. I actually asked this guy to sit down and meet with me. I mean, that was over a month ago. I He, he, he won't even get back to me and give me a date. I mean, frankly, it's it's pathetic. Uh, a pastor yeah. should be able to answer charges. If you're not, I mean, if you're going to charge somebody, and this is true for uh, against me or against you or against um, uh, all these laymen who've been accused of all these allegedly vile things, if you're not ready to actually give chapter and verse and explain why this was a, an opinion or a statement against the Word of God and not tol- tolerable in the Church of God, then you better not open your mouth. You right. better have the receipts. And unfortunately, I think it's very clear that this has 
empowered uh, a lot of people to to act poorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, it, it's you see it on um, as I mentioned in the opening. I mean, this has re- renewed kind of a lot of heat and not a whole lot of light in all sectors, whether it's online or in Winkles or just in discussions about uh, about what's going on. And suddenly everyone's pointing fingers uh, and, and no one is really trying to remain brothers. It's just like you said, that point and shriek like, oh, bad man, he must be gone. Yeah, it. I, and and there are real issues that need to be talked about, and we're we're going to get to that soon. But I the, the the tenor of the discussion is is not good, and I don't say that as kind of like a bow tie wearing. Oh, let's let's all be official <laughs> and blah blah. <laughs> yes, I have a prejudice. Did I commit a racism there? You know, I. <laughs> but uh, it it is a very you know. I'm I'm not a bow tie wearing like oh we we can't use rough language no I mean but but like you said if it's all heat and no light come on let's let's actually talk about the facts and the mm-hmm. particulars yeah uh, you're exactly right it seems like it's getting um, ramped up um, all sectors and you know it's bringing more and more people into that orbit I mean even Chris Rosebro is discussing these things. Well, I mean, yes, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't aware of it. I did see that he jumped in, but frankly, I mean, <laughs> imagine caring what Chris Roseborough has to say about anything. I know mm-hmm. that sounds harsh, um, but I frankly don't care. Um, uh, I, I saw that he was arguing on the internet. I didn't bother reading much of it, and I think that he got a, a interview on issues, et cetera. Is that right on it? Yep. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's very simple math. I mean, Chris Roseborough is pro, vehemently pro, commuting people over the interwebs. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's just ridiculous. Someone who believes in internet communion, I, I don't really care what they have to say about much anything. I think the better question, frankly, is, is why in the world would issues etc have him on now again i know the answer to that question i think um it's because you know todd and jeff uh, have a long history and and i really do respect old loyalties and rosebro helped him out when they got canned under the kishnik administration so again i i got a lot of respect for old loyalties but i just i, I think the better question is why um i mean what Chris Roseborough, who's a self-appointed heresy hunter, thinks about this when he's pro-internet communion, I, whatever, not very important. But why have him on? Why platform him, as they say these days? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Todd and Jeff, issues, etc., have been so awesome on beating down the idea that you can commune people over the internet. They were awesome on that. That was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and furthermore, o- over the last several years, they have been very strong on kind of the soft antinomianism or the antinomianism that has infected the Missouri Senate. I mean, they've been heroes on that, you know, no, you know, period, full stop. They have. Yep. Uh, yeah. Todd's even talked about how, you know, he used to lean that way and then he really came around. I mean, praise be to God. Awesome. But I understand old loyalties, but why still platform? Why still, you know, lift up as, 
an expert or someone to listen to, somebody who vehemently supports internet communion, and secondly, runs around with 1517. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. That's that's the more interesting question, which is not what we're talking about. But yeah, yeah. well, long story short, who cares what Chris Roseborough has to say? Well, no. So I just want to press you on this like just a little bit. I mean, how is, you know, one of the, our complaints with this is the being painted with a broad brush, um, being being uh, guilt by association. How is this different? Yeah, I mean, I guess because they've made statements to the contrary. Yeah. But I guess, well, I mean, if you're going to press me, I guess, like, why is it okay for a guy who clearly goes against what the scriptures detail as how to celebrate or and administer the Lord's Supper? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, 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 how is it okay to associate with him, but not somebody who has a, you know, an attraction to a political philosophy or, you know, thinks that homosexuals sh- who, who are egregious, uh, you know, committers of depravity uh, perhaps should be executed under a political system. I mean, like, yeah. I, to, to me, it seems like, you know, uh, focusing on a law or a speck instead of a log, but, you know. <laughs> no, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, we are, um, uh, we are very adept at choosing, um, you know, wh- who's part of the in crowd and who's not. Uh, and as I think we've already mentioned, some of that really goes along very nicely with what the spirit of the age is. And I don't want to assign motives, but but it seems as though it's very easy to say you can't be a part of that group, um, and I don't want anything to do with you. I don't ever want to have you on my show. But if you're a part of this group, which is in our day okay to have online services, including Holy Communion, well, that's fine. And so uh, we then are becoming the judge of what Scripture says, not the Scripture judging us and what we do. Yeah, I mean— I'm fine with in-group favoritism. I mean, any cohesive group needs that. But Correct. like what you said, what, what what are the principles at work here? And, and I think that gets back to the point that I said earlier. We need to be very self-reflective on upon what basis or yeah. which bases are we making those uh, yeah. determinations. Yeah. yeah, by what standard? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you, so you want to get down to the to the real issues i imagine yeah what yeah what are what are the real issues and and what's the path forward how do how do we deal with this uh what are the um in our mind what kind of mindset what sort of categories um, the, all of that how how do we make our way forward parse things out and speak about them in a way that sheds more light than generates heat yeah absolutely i mean i think that uh you know, everything we've been talking about before is, you know, okay, there's this letter and then so-and-so saying this and that. So there's a lot of that drama and that drama can be revealing and important. I'm not trying to dismiss it all, but right. at the same time, the deeper issue is definitely, you know, how, you know, what are we going to talk about and how are we going to talk about? And um, I think in some ways it really, you know, centers around a longstanding problem of several decades in the Missouri Synod about how to deal with quote unquote racism. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to get all deep into the history, but 
the facts are very clear about that term. Number one, it's a very recent term. You know, you go back into church history, you don't hear people talking about the sin of racism. You just don't. I mean, go to the Old Testament, go to the New Testament. You ain't going to find it. Go to the church fathers. You're not going to find it. Go to the reformers. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find it until a a couple, you know, maybe a hundred plus years ago. I mean, it's very, very recent. Mm -hmm. Secondly, it's a very squishy term. And we talked about this a little bit, but um, I'm going to steal a phrase uh, someone else, you know, brought up to me. And I I think it's a good one. It's a maximum splatter term. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) think about someone like throwing a, uh, you know, a a water balloon filled with paint or, you know, a, a painter having fun, not doing his job the right way. You know, it's a maximum splatter term. And this is similar to what you know, I talked about in terms of racism as a term and sexism as a term back in a talk in 2020 at the Bugenhagen conference, uh, a keynote. And um, it, it 90% of the time when this term is used, it is used as a slur. I mean, that that's just a fact. You know, it's, it's a recent term and that should make us suspicious as well. Uh, it, it, it is also a squishy term or a splattery term. And uh, squishy really denotes how it's never defined very well. And that's not just true in the world, but also it's true uh, in the Missouri Synod um, in, in recent decades. I, I'd say, you know, a lot of, you know, when this term started getting used in the Missouri Synod, it, it you know, this was mid-century, 60s and 70s. And, uh, the folks that would use it did not define it very well. And then it starts getting into more of our, um, you know, documented uh, language and in, in our documents, I should just say, right. you know, really, really uh, big time in the 90s. And I don't think it's a helpful term. Um, maybe it could be helpful. I don't think so, but it's not defined well. And uh, so it's not just squishy. But, but it's also a splatter term because it's used to denounce people without a lot of definition, which makes it a very easy term to throw around and slur people without having to do the hard work of proving that they're wrong or yeah. unbiblical. So yeah, I, I think... I, I, I find the same thing at work. It seems to me that uh, on the one hand, it's too inclusive and yet uh, too exclusive as well. And what I mean by that is it's usually too inclusive in in what kind of uh, actions or thoughts or even feelings fall under this term, and then too exclusive in that it is typically applied only in one direction. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the evidence of everything that you just said and what I just said comes very becomes very clear when you actually push someone what mm-hmm. what do you mean by racism how right. is that racist um same way with the term sexism how is that sexist you know what do you mean by that and there's not a lot of clear responses well i i mentioned the 90s because um there's this document um racism in the church yeah and that was written by the ctcr in 1994 it's got an interesting history that um, 
hardly anyone knows about. I know that some people know about it now uh, because of my talk in 2020, but I'd like to fill in some more gaps because I've learned some things, uh, you know, subsequently. So um, the CTCR is uh, the Commission for Theology and Church Relations in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. It came into being because, uh, you know, this, the seminary in St. Louis could no longer be trusted. And so they really, you know, Jack Price created this commission, um, you know, to to produce doctrinal statements and, and opinions and things like that. I mean, I personally wish it would be disbanded and go back to um, requesting that the seminaries and those professors particularly um, whom it's been given to, uh, mm -hmm. to, to produce opinions and doctrinal statements uh, yeah. for the synod, for the church. I mean, mm -hmm. but regardless of all that. And, and on top of that, I mean, it, even if it doesn't, uh, our seminary faculties still have the ability by means of uh, critique of the CTCR uh, to write in and object officially to whatever teaching is found and whatever document has has come to light. I mean, I, I, it was just reported to me um, at our most recent district pastors conference that there are only like five dissents. Period to the Luther's large catechism with annotations and contemporary essays applications. Five. I don't yeah, know. There was, well, a whole, there was a whole lot more going on online, even from some sectors of the faculty, uh, and and it doesn't seem like any of that made um, made any headway in terms of actually sitting down to write and uh, and create an argument to say this is why this is not helpful. This is why this is not good. Well, and to respond to that in two ways, I mean. I think that on one hand, yes, we could always say, well, every pastor is a called, an ordained minister of the word. And, you know, if they have a problem with it, they should send one in. So we should do better. Okay, mm -hmm. that, that's fair. That's fair. But let's also look at the reality and the history of how the church has dealt with this stuff. Um, you know, Arianism arises with Arius and other heretics, you know, who followed him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm sorry to say, but the reality is, is that some guy who's in a parish in, in the wilds of Asia Minor, that's not his first concern. He's yeah. probably not the best person to do it. And so that's why you need an Athanasius. That's why you need, you, you know, special guys who are going to throw down and do that. Mm -hmm. And so while, yes, more of us pastors could and should have sent in dissents, I mean, this is a burden not exclusively placed upon the seminary faculties, but they they have a special place here, and, and, yeah. and, and they should. And, it is their um, particular vocation, right, yeah, as teachers of the church. And, and I'm all I was saying is, that option is still open for them also. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I, don't know who those five descents came from, but I hope some of them were seminary faculty, and I hope that the faculties will 
put in something, whether individually or corporately. I mean, that mm-hmm. that should happen. But again, uh, not to beat a dead horse, but I mean, this is why I think the CTCR is not a an ideal institution. I, I, I think that, you know, the seminaries should be doing what they're given to do, you mm-hmm. know, and naturally should do. But um, yeah, so Racism in the Church was a document that was produced by the CTCR in 1994. That's when they wrote it. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, um, uh, a minority, and this is, you know, why I always call it the minority report. Um, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I mean, there's the movie too, right? Have you seen the movie? The minority I have. Report? Yeah. Tom Cruise, that one. Tom Cruise. I mean, Tom Cruise is loony as the day is long, but, you know, he makes good movies. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) that that movie is interesting. I mean, it it definitely has a lot to say about testimony and about uh, tyranny and um, and about allowable discussion. Um, I I always call it the minority. I think you just gave me the title for this episode. Yeah, the maybe minority so. report. The yeah. minority report. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, but it wasn't called the minority report. Nowadays, um, you have uh, official minority reports. Like, if the majority of the CTCR wants to pass something, they can pass it, and then the minority can produce a minority report on the same topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Paul Nuss. Uh, who's a mutual friend of ours. He's, he's the king of minority reports. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, uh, uh, during his time as a layman on the uh, CTCR, I believe produced, uh, you know, he was involved anyway with, uh, with producing uh, most of the min- minority reports that are still on the CTCR's uh, website. Mm-hmm. Um, but before uh, that golden age of minority reporting, um, <laughs> yeah. there was this report called racism in the church a dissenting opinion Mm -hmm. and um so there wasn't this category of minority reports yet but yet um there was this minority report um and uh or dissenting opinion and speaking of faculty members uh there were four men who produced this report and three of which were uh uh, seminary professors, which I think is very mm-hmm. notable. Not only were they seminary professors, but they're very, very well-respected uh, men. Three of them are still alive. One is uh, deceased. Um, but I, I'd like to read their names because I really want to give due weight to their work, mm-hmm. uh, not just in this document, but the weight that should be given to this document due to their long service in the church. Yeah. So you have uh, Cameron McKenzie, uh, then and now a uh, very well-respected uh, member of the Fort Wayne faculty. Um, I have the utmost respect for McKenzie. Uh, mm-hmm. He was my uh, STM advisor, and he, he, he's just an incredible historical theologian. You have Ken Sherb, who is not a um, seminary professor, but also a, a, an incredible historian, especially when it comes to the Missouri Synod. Yeah, top uh, thinker. Yeah, top-notch thinker. He's in your district, as I know you know, but I wanted yep. to mention that. He, he's in the CID. Yeah, top-notch guy. Um, you have James Veltz, who I may disagree with on the uh, quote-unquote longer ending of Mark. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but that's a discussion for another day. But even 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 my disagreements with, uh, you know, Professor Veltz when it comes to um, 
the longer quote unquote ending of Mark. I mean, he's a top notch thinker as well. Very well mm-hmm. respected, longtime member uh, of the faculties of both Fort Wayne and St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And then last, but certainly not least, uh, the deceased Norman Nagel, who was a longtime professor at the St. Louis faculty and highly, highly respected by um, especially members of the current uh, Harrison administration and mm-hmm. folks all across Synod. I mean, um, I never had Nagel as a prof. I never met the man. Um, and uh, his name often comes up uh, in reference to some of the uh, discussions about antinomianism or soft antinomianism. But be that as it may, uh, the guy was a giant in the Missouri Synod. And uh, if anything, uh, him signing on to this uh, should really make a lot of people pause along with the other three names. Because Mm -hmm. I think that this document just shows a great humility of what theologians can say and what they can't say, and perhaps more importantly, where they acknowledge there is room to maneuver, quote unquote, and acknowledging the complexity of, of the facts and the situation. Yeah, and uh, and that's so, so much, okay. That's that's so much of what what's going on here is a a failure to acknowledge complexity. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen or heard or experienced someone saying, "Well, that's racist." Well, why is that racist? Well, yeah. that's not loving your neighbor. Okay. Well, in in what way? And can we talk about the Bible? Can we talk about history? Can we mm-hmm. talk about what is what? Because God, and, and, I, and I think this is the root of the issue, God has actually, in his manifold wisdom and mercy and creative powers, you know, given to humanity great diversity. And that word diversity gets misused by the left all the time. And yet (laughs) it seems to be that folks on the quote unquote more conservative side are the only ones who can appreciate it. Why? Because conservatives, generally speaking, you know, people rooted in reality, they actually appreciate particularity. And God has, yes, made us all. And he has sent his son to die for us all. And so there are some things that are true, like St. Paul says, you know, there's no Jew or Greek, there's no slave or free, there's no male and female. You know, in in terms of justification, um, in some senses, in terms of creation, there is a a total equality, um, uh, total sameness even, Mm -hmm. and yet not in every sense. God has made the nations, and, and this is actually a beauty to behold, and a complexity to be appreciated rather than dismissed, ignored, or stomped down. Because if yeah. we do those things, then we're actually fighting on the side of the one who hates humanity. The devil hates mankind. He hates it with a vehement passion. You know, yeah, he hates he put enmity God put enmity between us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and not just between the nations or the families or whatever you want to talk about. I mean, it, it is a small mind who interminably argues about 
uh, terminology. <laughs> you know what I mean? All these people, well, there's, well, there's one race, the human race. Okay. Well, that's not exactly the point. You know, there's different, uh, you want to use the word ethnicities. You want to use the word nations. I, I don't really care. Let's talk about reality, but it's not just that God made the, the wonderful distinctions between the nations. So let's just use that biblical term. Um, but also between man and woman. And what does the yes. devil want to do? He wants, he wants to slice and dice us literally. And we see his mask coming off right now. Or is that a speck mm-hmm. in his eye too? I don't know. Sometimes I, I'm unclear. But uh, well, yeah. You know, I mean, wants- the end, the end goal with that is androgyny. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and so, what is the end goal in, in, you know, these 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 other battles against humanity? Um, yeah, it's the war against particularity. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's the war against reality. It's the war against who God made us to be. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that that's, that's where we get down to brass tacks. And just to close off the history of the documents, um, what nobody seems to know or remember, um, more people are getting, you know, knowledgeable about this, but, but I, I want to lay out the history very clearly. The majority opinion was passed by the majority. Um, the dissenting opinion was passed by the minority, these four men. And when it came to the convention in 1995, um, you know, when people say, oh, okay, well, let me back up. A lot of people think that, you know, racism in the church, that majority opinion is like the Missouri Synod's position. They, Correct. They, they, it's not. Right. Plain and simple. It's not our position. That is just factually inaccurate. It was commended for study to the Synod. And yet, what's very interesting is that it was commended to study, or commended for study to the Synod in the exact same resolution, literally the same resolution, commended it and the minority or the dissenting opinion to the Synod for study. The same resolution. So if anyone wants to quote that majority, quote unquote, majority opinion and think that it holds some sort of sway or, uh, you know, um, authority. Well, yeah, it was commended to the Synod. But guess what? It holds the exact, by law speaking, authority and weight, the exact same authority and weight as the dissenting opinion. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them were an uh, you know accepted doctrinal position of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Both of them were commended for study, but both of them were commended for study under the same resolution with the exact same weight and authority. Yeah. And and now in terms of effect, um, you know the first one was a long, polished. Uh, you know, full work, so to speak. Obviously, the second work was very polished and and good, but much shorter. And, uh, you know, the first one, the majority was distributed. You can buy it on, you know, CPH's website and whatnot. And the minority opinion was uh, pretty much ignored. Um, I found it in Fort, in the Fort Wayne library when I was doing research for my STM. And I saw it and, and I recognized this gold immediately. I was like, wow, this is incredible. Oh my goodness. Cam McKenzie wrote this. Oh, look at these other names. This is amazing. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is so interesting. And then I said, I can't look at this. I can't go any further because I got to get my <laughs> stupid STM dumb. Right. It, it wasn't stupid. I'm really glad I did it. Cam McKenzie helped me so much and all my other readers and whatnot. So 
no, I, I made the right decision. <laughs> but at the same time, I said, this is gold and I need to come back to this. And so in 2020, when I was getting ready for the um, Bugenhagen conference, um, I, I was going to do a workshop on this uh, because of all the, you know, the unrest that was going on mm-hmm. in the nation at the time, you know, George Floyd and all the riots and blah, blah, blah. And, and so, you know, I, I, I relooked at it and um, I, I do want to correct another record. I, I said uh, in my talk, I said, you know, I find it kind of suspicious or I, I'm a little unsure of why this isn't on the Synod's website and the CTCR website. And, you know, I, I was kind of snide about it. And, uh, you know, I wonder why they didn't put it up there. Too hot to handle or something. I, I you know, along those lines. Well, um, I, I was, you know, very pleasantly uh, corrected when I got to talk to some CTCR folks uh, about it. And uh, Joe Lanebauer, you know, spoke to me, um, or we, we were writing back and forth. And, and you know, he said, well, this was the first of its kind. We didn't really know what to do with it. It, it wasn't a, a purposeful, you know, uh, withdrawing of it or anything like that. And so, you know, I, I asked him, would you please put it up on the website? Would you please make it available? And he did so. No hesitation, no nothing. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I guess my snide remarks weren't totally justified. So I, 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 I apologize for that. But um, but it, 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 it's great. It's now available on uh, the Synod's website and mm-hmm. also uh, on Fort Wayne's uh, library uh, section of their website, too. Yeah. So anybody can get a hold of it. And to get us back to the real issue at hand, I think that they do a very responsible job of talking about, uh, you know, quote unquote racism. And so I, I, would like to walk through that and, uh, you know, talk about the points that they make so that we can move forward with a productive conversation about, Mm -hmm. um, the nations and how we should think about them. So uh, what does then this dissenting opinion, what does, does it reject everything or does it just reject some things within the majority opinion? Yeah. So um, they state very plainly that, um, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just quote them. They say parts two and three of racism in the church. And and I'll note that you're going to be putting a link to this in the, uh, in the, uh, the, the show, show notes. notes. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's listening, I would encourage at this point to go through and click on that, open it up in your browser so you can, you can follow along um, <clears throat> and definitely read it for yourself after, after the episode. So they say part parts two and three of racism in the church contain powerful and eloquent reminders that God is no respecter of persons and that the church in her proclamation and practice must always make that clear. Um, and, and if I could summarize on their behalf, which they do later, um, I mean, if, if the definition of racism was merely, um, we are all uh, descended from Adam and um, God created Adam and we are all his, um, you know, children in the sense of creation uh, mm-hmm. from Adam and also through Noah, obviously. Um, and also that God uh, redeemed all mankind and paid for their sins through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and that we are to love all of our neighbors, then yes, that that's true. Anyone who denies those things uh, is, is, an, is an error. 
that they're wrong, that that's sin, sinful pride or, yes. or, or quote unquote racism. Yeah, we we can all agree on that. And that's what the the minority opinion states as well. However, then they go into a critique, especially a part one, but not exclusive to it because, you know, it plays out in different parts of parts two and three of the majority mm-hmm. opinion. Um, they they uh, categorize their critiques uh, in three ways. Uh, they they talk about um, you know the the problem with defining the term racism. Mm-hmm. Then they uh, talk about an inadequate understanding of culture and its relationship to Christianity. And then last but certainly not least, they critique the egalitarian presuppositions of the majority document. Mm-hmm. So the, the, those are kind of the three warehouses that they, uh, that they, you know, you know, define their, their critiques on. Yeah. So, um, so what's the, so, what's, what's the first thing on definition? Yeah. Well, so they point out that number one, the definition of racism is, uh, squishy. That's my term, but it, it, it's confusing, which is their term, because it doesn't give a clear definition of racism. And this flows not just through the 1994 document accepted, not accepted rather, but commended to the Synod in 95, but um, it, it flows throughout so many statements of the Missouri Synod resolutions, all this kind of stuff, where it doesn't actually define racism, or if it defines it, it doesn't define it very well not in a very helpful mm-hmm. way. So um, they point out that that racism is defined, uh, you know, in some places biologically, you, you know, sinful pride based on uh, descent. But then in other places, they include culture and other things like that. And, and these are two different definitions. And so that, that that's not very helpful at all. No, um, it's equivocation. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to quote them, they say either definition presents problems and both together create confusion. That, that That's the word that they keep on using, confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and they also mention that, quote, neither definition applies necessarily to the kind of behavior that the document clearly means to be, uh, that clearly means to indict. Um, so again, it, it's it's not just just squishy in and of itself, but because it's squishy, who who you actually you, you know throwing this paint at? You know what I mean? Like it 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 just causes a problem. Yeah. And then they get into the meat of it, which um, I I really think is helpful. So I'll quote in full. Moreover, this definition seems to preclude reasonable research into the relationship of heredity of heredity to personality, intelligence, and other socially relevant qualities or ability. Is the document suggesting that such research is always out of place or only if it attempts to relate such characteristics to race and ethnicity? If the latter, why? If it is permissible to investigate such relationships to individuals, why is it wrong to do so in groups? I mean, they're just exposing the lack of thought that was given to the quote-unquote definitions of racism in the majority document. Yeah. Now, again, if you want to speak biblically and say, um, you know, if folks are saying, oh, okay, we, we don't have a common descent. Some races are descended from utterly different beings or persons or animals. 
other than Adam, that's outside of the biblical witness and thus, uh, you, you know, false doctrine or sinful to hold. Okay, fine. Yeah, sure. Whatever. That's true. If you're saying that because of a certain ethnicity or group or family or language or nation or whatever, you know, some group um, wasn't redeemed by Jesus's work on the cross, then yes, that conflicts with Christian doctrine and, and should be condemned as such. Yeah. And yet their point is, is that reasonable research, which I take to mean observable research, right? You know, and, and this gets into the sin of noticing and uh, noticing differences. Right. There are differences between groups of people. We all talk about this when it comes to families, uh, when it comes to also uh, other groups of people, which aren't utterly definable by uh, heredity. Um, but if it is purely heredity, it seems uh, that the majority opinion is saying you can't do reasonable research. You can't notice, you can't observe, you can't even study these things. And I don't think this is a good thing. I agree with the dissenting opinion that there are real biological differences uh, between groups of people. Yeah. Now, I mean, can you imagine? Make... Can you imagine the medical community not taking that into account? Yeah. I mean, uh, they would having... kill people. They, they would, would literally kill people. kill people. Yeah. They'd kill people. You know. I mean, when you talk about. Uh, donors about, uh, you know, blood or organs or whatnot, you got to talk about what? Compatibility. And mm -hmm. that largely, if not exclusively, has to do with uh, genetic similarity, mm -hmm. biological sim similarity. And so they're saying, why is this disallowed? And, uh, you know, I, I mean, how you respond to something, I talk about this in my 2020 talk, but, you know, very briefly, how you respond to observable truths can be either in, in a very pagan or hateful way or, um, you know, in, in a Christian way. But yeah. to, to deny that they're there is just insanity. I mean, there are differences. And to go back uh, to, quote unquote, be more positive about it, God's the one who made the diversity of the nations. He yeah. allowed and purposed humanity to unfold in a multiplicity of families, tribes, nations, ethnicities, races, whatever terminology you, you prefer. I mean, sure, there might be pros and cons there, but the fact of the matter is, is that he allowed it to unfold. And that's great, but mm -hmm. we can't ignore it and we can't deny it. And we certainly can't, you know, say that it's not allowed to be talked about. That, yeah. That's just insanity. And, um, and, and refusing to recognize that, it seems, actually causes more problems than it solves. I mean, they give the example in business, in just communication, that, that, we, that we actually need to take into account the differences that have been uh, written into the creation so that we are able to work together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, think about, you know, how people say, if you can't even acknowledge the issue or the complexity, then you're never going to solve the problem. People say that all the time. I mean, mm -hmm. if you can't face reality, you can't tackle it. Right. And so, I mean, the diversity of nations obviously um, is wonderful in some ways, 
but also it can create in a sinful world anyway it won't in heaven you know uh will be in harmony in in our diversity uh, yeah. i mean that that's the great vision of revelation 7 but yet here on earth because of sinful man our differences can and do create conflicts misunderstandings problems if you don't acknowledge them you're never going to be able to deal with them right and so you know um well uh just to back up for a second, uh, you know, they, they say perhaps the CTCR majority would answer that their concern is not with the recognition of differences between groups, but with using those differences to make judgments regarding a people's or, quote, people's social worth and their value as human beings. So, again, you know, if you're talking about different people being inferior in the sense of being a creature of God, or as one whom Christ died for, or as an object of Christian love, this would be sinful. And yet yes. understanding and acknowledging differences as such is not sinful. In fact, it's just a recognition of reality. Mm -hmm. um, furthermore, um, they go further. They say, nonetheless, it is also true that ethnic groups do exhibit characteristics that are quote-unquote socially relevant you know mm -hmm. that that's important you know and further uh, you know before they, they they talk about you know how uh research into the relationship of heredity and some of those socially relevant qualities um you know they talk about personality intelligent and other socially re relevant qualities or abil abilities um you know they that shouldn't be precluded I mean, th that's just facing reality. And as you pointed out, for the sake of understanding each other, acknowledging God's creation and the way it's unfolded uh, over, the, over the, you know, the centuries. Mm -hmm. And you see this in the Bible, right? There's the famous quote, uh, Paul advised Titus, even as one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. <laughs> and then they use a modern example of Thomas Sowell um, writing in Ethnic America uh, and how he demonstrates a remarkable, I'm quoting them, remarkable correlation between the various ethnic groups that have come to America and, quote unquote, socially relevant qualities or abilities. But they say, by its definition, the CTCR seems to be saying that Sowell and Paul are racists. And I love how they say this. This cannot be correct. <laughs> I mean, it's a denial of reality. It's stupid. You can't deal with reality well as a Christian if you won't acknowledge it. And right. so God has allowed the nations to unfold, and there is actually a diversity and differences between them. Now, if that mm -hmm. results in sinful pride and, uh, you know, saying, oh, these people weren't, uh, Jesus didn't die for these people, or we, we don't need to love our neighbor, that, that's not good. That's wrong. But to deny reality is ridiculous. Um, well, and, and you alluded to the, to the piece uh, entitled, Pair Helps Firms Work on Diversity, uh, mm -hmm. which w w was the, the Dickens, and talking about you know, African-Americans, whites, and Asian-Americans, and how they work in the workplace. And, um, you know, in this piece, the Dickinsons say that it's, quote-unquote, foolish to pretend that people of different ethnic backgrounds perceive and react to the world the same way. 
And um, I, I, I like this distinction that's made in the article that the Minority Report uh, quotes. Um, you know, the Dickinsons asked if that approach is stereotypical. Jacqueline Dickens says she and her husband rely on generalizations. And, you know, then they quote the, the couple, or at least Jacqueline. Stereotypes are fixed images without variations, she says. Generalizations are neutral, contain no value judgments, and have to do with what you observe. Well, are yeah. we not allowed to observe? Are we not allowed to notice, you know, that there are differences between groups? Mm. I mean, this is real. And and only a fool would ignore these things. And, and, and I think that's a good uh, distinction between generalizations and stereotypes. Obviously, as Christians, we can judge different um, traits and different mm -hmm. behaviors. Um, but generalizations are helpful. You, you don't live your life without generalizations. If you're walking alone on a, a dark street at night and you see a man, let's, let's get away from ethnicity or race, and you see a man walking towards you versus a woman, you're going to be more concerned if it's a man. Why? Because we know from statistics and from experience and history that men are more prone to commit violent crimes or crimes, yeah. period. Mm -hmm. You know? So we or use just this take every age day. Into consideration. Yeah. You know, take a 90 year old man versus a five year old boy or yeah. a 35 year old man. I mean, all of those things, yeah. those observable, observable facts. That makes a difference. It's not everything, but it's not nothing. Well, that that's the quote, man. It may not be everything, but it certainly isn't nothing. It's something, and it needs mm -hmm. to be talked about, and it needs to be understood, not just for the sake of acknowledging reality, but being good Christians and, frankly, good pastors. And we'll talk about that more later. Um, I mean, heritable traits are real. We all yeah. understand this in our own families. Uh, we, we were talking on the phone in preview to this conversation, and you said you saw traits in your kids that you could see in yourself. Mm -hmm. you know? And it's I usually mean, the things you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe for you, but yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's totally true. I mean, uh, again, to, to put it in, into the pastoral perspective, you know, I mean, how many times do you realize um, or are told, well, that's how that clan is. That's how that family is. Now, mm -hmm. some of that obviously is, and we're going to get to this, culture, environment, experience, particular history, all, all that stuff plays a part. But some of it is heredity or, mm -hmm. or, or because of descent. You know, so-and-so has their uncle's temper. You know, yep. I mean, you know, imagine thinking that a faith, a people who believe that we all are fallen and all share in the consequence of one man's sin, Adam. Imagine believing that, right? We mm -hmm. all fell in Adam's fall and his sin has affected all of us. Imagine believing that that was true for Adam. And could never, ever, ever be true for any other situation. Mm -hmm. You know, that my great-grandfather, you know, did something or was born a certain way 
or was cursed by God because of a sin. And that wouldn't affect me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm not saying we should get too down and nitty gritty about uh, the whys and the wherefores. You, you can get into danger with reading the tea leaves. But imagine thinking that we believe in inherited sin from Adam and thinking that heredity means nothing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just on its face absurd. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It denies creation. Well, maybe not creation, but the fall at yeah. least. Uh, I mean, it's silly, just downright silly. Yeah, I mean, so, it, um, it, you could also go to the close of the commandments. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, because even if, even if your father sinned and was an unbeliever and hated God, and even if you, because we're not personally judged on the basis of our forefather, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even if you were a believer, could you imagine thinking that his sin wouldn't affect you in any way. And not and, and again, that, that's the thing about the complexity of the situation and the complexity of, the, the, of, of all these situations about the nations and families and tribes. You know, it should be exciting because it, it helps us be better Christians. It helps us be better pastors. Imagine mm-hmm. thinking that your father uh, denied the faith. I know he didn't, but, you know, let's pretend. He, he, he denied the faith and that wouldn't affect you in any way, not just environmentally, not just because of, you know, experience in history, but, but also, you know, um, because of culture, uh, heredity. I mean, it's a big complex picture and, and we shouldn't try to flatten it down and think that these things aren't relevant. It's, it's like we've been saying, um, it may not be everything, but it's certainly something and we need to be able to talk about it. Um, and, People seem to be willing to very willingly talk about environment and um, uh, culture and experience, and they seem to really not want to talk about anything uh, in terms of dissent. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be an allowable discussion. I mean, frankly, the scriptures, as, as you know, are one big uh, genealogy. That's yeah. what it is. I mean, the Bible is tied together by genealogy. Genealogy matters. It's not everything, but it's not nothing. Yeah. Think of some examples. Um, you know, um, uh, and and I'm purposefully not picking spiritual examples. Um, but 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 think about um, Eskimos, or did I commit a racism there? Maybe it's First Peoples. I I can't keep up with all of the all the different terminology. Eskimos. Um, they have shorter stockier limbs on average as a generalization. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they've been living in the Arctic for hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years. I don't know. Um, Are their limbs superior to mine when it comes to surviving in an Arctic climate? Yeah, they are. (laughs) Yeah. Plain and simple. They don't get frostbite as easily, you know? Yeah. They're not as far away from the heart. Yeah, exactly. That's an advantage. And dare, well, I've already said it, but dare I say the word superior? They're superior in that aspect. It's true. Yeah. Does that does that mean they're more of a child of God than me? No. Does it no. mean that Jesus redeemed them more? No. Does it mean that they should treat me as lesser? No. Uh, another physical example. But, but they should, if we happen to be with them in the Arctic, acknowledge that difference and take appropriate actions. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because that, that's loving your neighbor. Yeah, because on average, generally speaking, yes, they're, my limbs are going to need more <laughs> warmth <laughs> than, than theirs, yes. generally speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, that, okay. and that's so, the complexity that we're talking about, that to, not to take those things into consideration is to ignore your neighbor, not actually to care for him. Well, and that's the thing, because we care about particularity, because we're right. interested. Why, why aren't we interested in this? It helps mm -hmm. us not just function as more Christ-like people, but actually love our neighbor more particularly. Yes. Uh, 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 another physical example, um, sprinters. Um, you, you look at the Olympics, which is, you know, I mean, th th there's lots of races, you know, all across the world. But, you know, the Olympics, everybody comes together and, and they sprint. In, in the last several decades, as the Olympics has become more multinational and not just more of a European nation thing, right? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? But as the talent from all across the globe has been allowed or has, you know, competed, sprinters amazingly, consistently, amazingly consistently are of West African descent. And I specifically say West African. East Africans tend to be good long distance runners, like Ethiopians and folks, you know, folks mm -hmm. over on the, you know, the Eastern Africa. Um, they're much better at distance. Uh, it's very, it's, it's a regular occurrence that East Africans will come over to the United States and win marathons. And yet, in terms of sprinting, West Africans, even if they've been gone from West Africa for literally hundreds of years uh, because of either migration by choice or because of slavery or wh whatever, what have you. Um, sprinters, typically, overwhelmingly, uh, outside of what you would expect in terms of random selection or, or representation, come from West African descent. That's a biological reality. It, it's, it, it's, it's just incredible. Like, what's that guy's name? Uh, Usain or Hussein Bolt? You yes. know, he's Jamaican. But he's of West African descent. I mean, like that, that guy's faster than anything on earth. I mean, incredible. That that is a thing that can be traced to heredity. Are West Africans superior when it comes to sprinting? Yes, they are. It's true. Mm -hmm. You know, and And that's and good. Then, that's how God made them. Yeah. That, that that's how God has allowed it to unfold. And um, well let, let, let's get to some other stuff. You, you know, um, that, that isn't uh, just about more um, physical attributes, so to speak. Um, the Irish and the Finns, you know, both European groups and, um, you know, uh, very different. They're on the other sides of the con continent, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe I'm committing a racism here again. Uh, perhaps so. Maybe someone will decide to write a blog post about me. I hope so. But, uh, you know, in my experience growing up on the south side of Chicago and being in a heavily Irish-dominated section of the city, uh, the Irish tend to be uh, slightly quicker to being hot-tempered and passionate than my experience with Finns. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that that is a fair assessment. Now, am I not supposed to know that? Am I not supposed to notice that? I mean... I think it's pretty clear. I think anyone in their right mind would say, you know what? Yes, the Irish are more passionate, emotional, whatever you want to say, 
um, even hot-tempered. That's got a negative connotation to it, but whatever. Then the Finns. The Finns tend to be more what? Reserved, private, mm-hmm. um, you might even say dour, right? <laughs> Yeah, I know a few Finns. They're they're not. You know a few Finns. <laughs> well, okay. Well, Mister Naxalt himself to the rescue, right? You know? <laughs> you know. But isn't it interesting that I can bring that up, and I don't think many people are going to get, you know, their underwear in a twist over mm-hmm. it, because I'm talking about two European groups. You know. Yeah. Somehow, I can talk about sprinters and Eskimo limbs and Irish and Finns. And either it's like, well, yeah, of course, that's the way it is. Or ha ha ha. That's, that's kind of a cute anecdote. And yet when people start reasonably as the minority report, start talking about social traits, yeah, people freak out all yeah. of a sudden. You can't talk about that. Can't talk yeah. about it. Don't do it. What I think the overarching point that, uh, I'm hearing uh, just kind of unspoken, which is when you have a vacuum like that where you can't talk about it, it does get filled with something. And and though we might be uncomfortable um, going in and talking about those things, th- that uncomfortability should be the very reason to tread on to tread on those things, to discuss those things, so it's not filled with something that is either too harsh or too weak. This well, should yeah, be the very I, I, reason I, for us to discuss those things. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think your point is absolutely the correct one because if 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 you don't talk about it, right? If the uh, if the response to the differences between the between the nations is just shut up, turn your head, don't talk about it. Then, then yeah, bad stuff is going to fill the void. Nope. Better to bottle it up and deny reality. And that is a wrong way to go about it because reality is going to find a way, you know, not now I feel like I'm in Jurassic park. Life will find a way, right? You know? yeah. No, you're <laughs> but, right. Yeah. I mean, the truth will find a way that, that, I mean, you can't suppress the truth. It's yeah. going to come out. People are going to talk about it. And the only question is, are you going to deal with it like a pagan or are you going to deal with it like a Christian? Yeah. And if we as pastors, now speaking about pastors in particular, if we as pastors are actually going to help shape the discussion, help our people think about it and talk about it, then the first step is acknowledging reality, mm-hmm. that there are differences between individuals and families and tribes and nations. And that's something that we got to talk about. Um, So I, I think that's the, and, and not, and, and not just the ha ha, the Irish and the Finns are different, you know, but all, but, but also about as, as the minority report points out socially relevant traits. And again, I'm a, I, I, I'm a pastor. I'm a theologian, so to speak. Not really, but whatever, you know, I mean, that's not my area of expertise. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm interested in it. I should know stuff that's, that's clear or well-documented, but to preemptively smash that discussion down is a bad idea. You know? Um, Well, I mean, what's the thing when you were in call service or graduated and you had the district president preaching 
what is it that they continually said to you? Love your people. Love know your people. your people. Yep. And how can you do that if you're not allowed to see what's right in front of your eyes? Yeah, exactly. We've been told, you and I and every pastor out there, we've been told thousands, literally, well, okay, hundreds of times, know your people, <laughs> love your people. And okay, well, we don't just know them as individuals, but you know, you, you had it said the same way. Get to know the families, the clans, the community, the this, the that. And it is, and, and it's not just descent. It's not just heredity. But just because it's not everything doesn't mean it's not something. And so, yeah, you're going to get to know the culture of your congregation. You're, yes. you're going to, the culture of your community. And that's going to include experience and history and language and custom and also Heredity. I mean, imagine, imagine telling, uh, I mean, no one says this because it's ridiculous, but it proves the point. No one would say, hey, new pastor, so newly minted pastor, so-and-so, you're going to go to Minnesota to an overwhelmingly Norwegian congregation. And uh, uh, you, pastor so-and-so, a different pastor B, you know, you're going to go to an overwhelmingly German Wisconsin congregation. And you know what? There is nothing that you should know about Norwegians and Germans that might be different. Nothing. <laughs> or, or it's only different because they're old history and language and culture. That's it. It has nothing mm -hmm. to do with heredity. That's ridiculous. I mean... Well, it is. And I remember I spent a year in England through the exchange program, through the, the, the two seminaries. I remember getting to England and having the talk from the tutors and professors there saying, England is not America. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that you should know in general about the British Isles. And mm -hmm. you should familiarize yourself with those things, those customs, those differences when you go to Germany and travel there or Italy and be mindful of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and that's the thing. It, our history and experience and culture diverged, even though it wasn't isolated, once the revolution happened, right? Mm -hmm. But also, the difference is due to huge immigration from Europe and then later on other places. But I mean, it, it's also because of descent. American culture was heavily influenced by, well, frankly, the Germans early on, but others too. I mean, it's a big, interesting mix of language, culture, history, heredity, all this stuff. And we mm -hmm. should want to know that stuff. We should want to know our people. We should want to know the distinctives and the particularity because we actually love them and we want to minister to them. And I yeah. do not understand why Christians and particular pa particularly pastors, for some reason, want to be like, nope, one race, the human race, we're all exactly the same. No, we are not. And right. we should appreciate the differences. Mm -hmm. Again, sinful pride in one's people is to be avoided. It's wrong. Yes. But you know what? There, there, there is nothing wrong with acknowledging the good that God has unfolded and the bad that God has unfolded so that we can properly you know, preach the gospel and minister to those particular people, that particular group. And it's a complex yeah, it, it gets It gets almost to be like a caricature, you know, if because you can end up condemning your forefathers and the things that have been bequeathed to you from them uh, just to try to avoid appearing 
prideful in where you came from. Yeah. Well, and that's the difference between sinful pride and godly pride. I yeah. Mean, should should people be, you know, oh, I don't want to take pride in this or that or the other thing because, you know, no, that's the devil at work, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. the devil wants us not to acknowledge the gifts that he's given to us, particularly, you know, what God's given to us particularly. Right. It's ridiculous. Right. I mean, is it prideful that the Shemites knew that the promise would come through them? You know, oh, no, we can't, we can't acknowledge that. No. God chose a particular family of Noah. He didn't yeah. pick the Hamites. He didn't pick the Japhethites. He picked Shem. And then he partic- mm-hmm. he particularly picked Abraham. And then he picked David. You know, I mean, God's all about particularity. Mm-hmm. Well, l- 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 let's bring it to our own synod, you know. Um, so we've got a black clergy caucus, right? Yeah. And um, I've got no problem with that. I have literally seen some people, well-meaning people, I don't mean to disparage them too much, but say, well, I, I don't think there should be a black clergy caucus. We're all the same. You know what? Um, wait a second. Y- you know what? Um, the black clergy caucus exists because we have people of African descent um, that, are, that have a shared experience, mm-hmm. that have a shared history, a shared culture, um, all these shared things, uh, not least speaking of shared descent as yeah. a part of it. Again, not everything, but not nothing either. They have particular concerns. They have particular uh, interests. They have a particular shared history, culture, all, all this kind of stuff. I think it's fine for the Black Clergy Caucus to exist. I don't get a problem yeah. with it. Yeah, that's good. And, and, and yet, if we find ourselves in a situation, they could actually, like for you or me, they could actually be of some help for us to understand what we did not grow up with or what we yeah, did not inherit. Yeah, sure. And But it, it's interesting because just like the Missouri Synod has a problem with the term racism, also with the term discrimination. So mm-hmm. how is who can be a part of the Black Clergy Caucus? I don't think I could be. I've mm-hmm. never tried, you know, but I am not of African descent. Yeah. Do I get to be a part of it? Well, it, it seems to me that the membership is based on discriminating between people, primarily actually based on descent. Of course, history, experience, culture, all that plays into it too. And you know what? I'm okay with that because that's fine. And that that, that that's actually a group based on earthly created differences exists. And and so just like racism, discrimination is not always an quote unquote ugly term or bad term, you know, right. uh, to discriminate is actually a good thing to have discriminating taste. Or I discriminate between sleeping with my wife and sleeping with someone else's wife, you know, to discriminate means to make a judgment based on appropriateness or circumstance or whatever. Yeah. That's fine. You dis- we are actually taught to discriminate between law and gospel. <laughs> Absolutely. Or, or or the Slovak district. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know it's called the SELC, but who's kidding who? That district is because of the Slovak synod, which used to exist. The synod of Slovaks, who share a common descent and culture and history and experience and all this other kind of stuff. 
they joined the Missouri Synod. Well, first they were part of the Synodical Conference. Then they became a district within our Synod. And because the Synod was overwhelmingly German then, and still is today, frankly, they decided to have their own district. And you know what? God bless them. I mean that. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's wonderful. There's no problem with that. But again, um, why is that district in existence? Is it not based on some discrimination because of ethnicity? Yes, it is. And we'd be ridiculous to say otherwise. Mm-hmm. Now, again, the Slovaks, by and large, in, in the most recent generations, have intermarried with other European peoples and others too, but mostly European peoples. And so are most members of Slovak churches Slovakian? Not really. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or maybe half or a quarter. Much more so then than your average Missouri Synod parish. But again, heredity might not be everything, but it's not nothing either. And it right. drives the Slovak district being a district. And so, you know what? In another three generations, okay. I mean, that's the thing about nations. Nations are real, but also there is a fluidity about it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's take another district, the English district. Now, frankly, let's be honest. Why does the English district exist? Probably uh, <laughs> because uh, there's a lot of congregations that don't like their district, and it's like a release valve, and they join the English district. But be that as it may, I would even be willing to hear the argument for an English district. Why? Because for a hundred years, they've walked together as their own district slash synod. Now, the mm-hmm. language thing is long in the past. Everybody's speaking English, right? You know? Correct. But they have a shared history. So here, unlike the Slovak or the Black Clergy Caucus, dissent isn't a very big factor. It's probably only a tertiary factor, if anything, at this point. Mm -hmm. And yet, there's a distinction. And we care about it. We care about that particularity. And we should care about it. Now, again, at this point, I think it's kind of silly, and we should integrate them into the geographical districts. But whatever. But I'd be willing to talk about it and to consider it because we care about particularity. So the uh, the last thing that they bring up in some ways is the most important one. And we've we've kind of touched on it already. But um, they, they really talk about the egalitarian um, presuppositions in the majority document. And using Walther's terminology, you know, how that majority document really accords with the spirit of the sage. And um, I guess I would say, you know, a, a good lotus star is that if it doesn't work in a family, it's not going to work in a nation or a political jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. And um, I just want to Now, what do you mean that. by that? What do you mean by that? Well... Egalitarianism thinks that everyone should be treated exactly the same in every circumstance. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take into account distinctions, whether it be based on sex or ethnicity or you keep bringing up age and things like that. And um, it presupposes that political institutions of a nation or, or, or other jurisdictions have to accord with egalitarianism, that everyone's going to be treated the same no matter the circumstances. And of course, no political jurisdiction actually follows this. None of them do. Yeah. Um, and yet, it, it, it is very common 
in discourse in the church today to believe that the Bible demands an egalitarian um, ideology or ideal. And this just isn't, it, it, it isn't true. Um, this is confusing enlightenment egalitarianism with uh, the biblical record. And usually by means of, uh, of quoting passages such as Galatians 3, 28 about, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, or, um, slave or free, or male and female. And, and thus we're all equal in all senses, instead of understanding that, yes, the gospel tells us that we're all children of God and that we are all redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and we are all to love our neighbors. And yet that doesn't erase those created distinctions and that doesn't mean that we can't make discriminations or we can't be discriminating on, as you brought up, you know, people's age or how, how they can vote, you know, or, or other, um, you know, relationships in terms of people in earthly government and polity and uh, familial arrangements. Right? right. So because me and my wife are both uh, equally redeemed and uh, you know, equally created, you know, uh, in, in the image of God, so to speak, that doesn't mean that we have equal authority in the home. Um, so in what sense are we equal? In what sense are we different? Those are the questions we should be asking. And this is where the dissenting, the minority opinion, really is punching at the deeper issue mm -hmm. and really, uh, you know, focuses in on, on what we've kind of been presuming and talking about this whole time about particularity. We should care about particularity. And God didn't just create us as amorphous, random individuals, but he actually uh, created us through the process of, you know, uh, two people coming together and making us and then making us as male or female, as um, German or Norwegian or this or that or whatnot. These things matter. Um, I know you've talked about this before, so I'm kind of stealing your words, but like just because our identity in Christ is the uh, is our ultimate identity, that doesn't mean that the ident the other identities are nothing. Kind of like we kept saying, like you know, descent or heredity isn't everything, but it's not nothing. So too, um, when when we talk about our, uh, our our ultimate identity in Christ, just because these other things aren't as important or aren't as great, that doesn't mean they're nothing either. Yeah. And, and there's a principle um, that the reformers quoted again and again and again, particularly against the Anabaptists. But I would note, uh, because the Anabaptists wanted to what overthrow, uh, not all of them, but many of them wanted to overthrow marriage and property mm -hmm. and all political associations. But I would note that also this was aimed, as you see in the Augsburg Confession, against a lot of the monastic orders, you know, mm -hmm. where you know, the monastic orders are, are following an over-realized eschatology or a false eschatology of you can overcome marriage and politics and all, all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and the principle in Latin that they quote again and again and again in different documents and gut octen, like theological opinions, basically what our seminaries used to do or the CTCR does now. Um, my Latin's horrible, but 
I'll try to quote it. Evangelium non tolit politica su leges politicas, which means the gospel does not abolish politics or political laws. Mm-hmm. That is, I mean, that is like a key principle uh, when talking about not just quote unquote sexism, but also what we're talking about today, the quote unquote racism, um, you know, that people decry. And I would say even deeper, and this is what accords with the spirit of the age, this enlightenment egalitarianism that so many Christians believe is part and parcel of the gospel. And it's not, it, it actually isn't a fundamental or intrinsic part of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And they really do believe that the evangelium, the gospel, abolishes all of these quote-unquote sinful political arrangements or laws. And that's not true. The gospel doesn't destroy politics. Now, that's not to say, just like with culture, there can be culture that is influenced more by Christianity and God's moral law than others. And yes, there can be a nation or uh, some sort of political jurisdiction that is, or, or family, right? You know, that's influenced more in its laws and customs and 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 whatever, um, more by the truth than others. That's true, but the presupposition is is that the gospel demands egalitarianism. It demands a, a, a destruction of all distinctions, and and that's not the case. And I think that one of the best touch points for us, that's, that's what you asked about, is that if it doesn't work in the, in the family, if, if it doesn't accord with the Bible's setup of a family, then because, because we still care about headship and things like that in the Synod, allegedly, mm-hmm. um, you know, it wouldn't work in a bigger jurisdiction because yeah. bigger clan, uh, tribes, nations, those are extended families. I mean, that's the true definition of a nation is, is that you're, re, re, you know, related to each other. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it's, it's, it's more complex in reality, but, um, you know, nation comes from mm-hmm. the same word as natal and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so if uh, even acknowledging those complexities and, you, you know, exceptions and what, what have you, you know, if it's not going to work in a family, if you're talking egalitarianism that would directly contradict the Bible's pattern for a family, then then you should be suspicious of it on a political jurisdictional level as well. So this principle put forth by the reformers, the gospel does not abolish politics or political laws. Is this in line with what, um, say, pops up in the reformed camp, which is grace does not destroy nature, but perfects it? Or is it, is it a little different? Um, uh, it's, it's, it's very related. I, I, Mm -hmm. you you know, it's saying it from a different angle and, and that doesn't just pop up in, um, reform. It's, it's kind of interesting that, that, that you say that it pops up in the reformed world. And I, I would imagine that's because of all the hubbub about Christian nationalism and how that's Mm -hmm. been really talked about in the reformed world of late. But actually, that goes back earlier. I mean, you, you can get Aquinas and medieval uh, Catholic or Roman Catholic thinkers about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, 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 this is not a distinctively Reformed um, 
position at all. But I would say that it's a pan-Christian understanding, uh, Christianity at its best. Uh, I mean, obviously, the medieval Roman Catholic Church and before um, struggled with with the claims and the ideals of monasticism. And as a Lutheran, as Lutherans, we would critique this. And yet, to be fair, they kind of warehoused it to a certain extent and, and created like kind of a dual track, right? You know what I mean? And so you, you, you've got your really, really, really good Christians as monks and nuns, and then they enforced celibacy on the priesthood too, right? You know, but they but but the medieval Roman Catholic Church still acknowledged. Well, you, you got to have politics. You got to have political laws. You got you got to have this stuff. And so they warehoused it, right? The Anabaptists really wanted to, you know, take this wholesale over. And this is why the Anabaptists and the Roman Catholics are actually two sides of the same coin, but they're working out their errors in different ways. But I I think the Lutherans had it, of course, right, and mm-hmm. you know they saw. That while there was a distinction between uh, the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom, that they saw that God made all three estates. You know, you, you, you got the church, you got the civil government, you got family. You know, each according to its station. Each person according to his station. So, you know, we're, we're, we're all creatures of God. We are all descended from Adam. We're all redeemed by Christ. We are all to love each other as neighbors in accordance where God's placed us, right? You know what I mean? Like yeah. my 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 son, my daughter, my neighbor down the street is is more on my plate than someone across the globe, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that's where the particularity comes in. And instead of like the monastic solution where you've got these super Christians and second class Christians, no, each one according to his station, each one according to his place. Each Christian in the church should be a preacher or a hearer. And yet in the civil society, either you're a ruler or a subject or citizen or whatever. And in the mm-hmm. home, your father, mother, son, daughter, you know, all, all these kind of things. And so the three estates or the two kingdoms, but especially the three estates helps us understand that, yeah, grace doesn't destroy nature, but it rather completes it or even better fulfills it. And, mm-hmm. you know, the gospel doesn't abolish politics or political laws, um, but, but actually it reaffirms them. It says, yes, this is how you should be in this time, in this place. And it's going to work out in different nations in different ways. Luther is brilliant on this, where on one hand he says, no, Karlstadt, you can't resurrect the Mosaic Code and try and apply all of it in its particularity to the German nation." And yet at the same time, he will look at it and say, well, golly, if, 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 if the Israelites in the Old Testament were doing this, how much more that now that we have the coming of Christ and the gospel, how, how much more we should follow God's moral law? So it's going to work its way out in different ways. But, you know, it, it particularly is paramount. That, that, that's what I'm trying to say. So how do we deal with all of the instances of the New Testament discussing not having partiality or in 2 Corinthians, St. Paul talking about, uh, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. How do we deal with, the, in light of what you've just said, uh, how do we handle those passages? Well, it's it's blazingly simple. It's frankly blazingly simple, and I don't understand why anyone doesn't get this, frankly. <laughs> 
I, I'm sorry, man. I, I'm not trying to be arrogant or harsh, but I do not get it. I don't understand why anyone has a problem with this. It's blazingly simple. Um, we're not to regard anyone according to the flesh in terms of, you know, whether someone is to be a Christian or not, whether they've been redeemed by Christ. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Whether um, they should the be evangelized or an ob object of evangelism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely right. On the other hand, Paul says, I've become all men to all people. And I remember that being quoted all the time in a bad way to say we should, you know, to get back to the culture thing, we should just, you know, accommodate the gospel to every culture and all this kind of stuff, even when the culture is bad and against the moral law. And that's bad. And yet, wait a second, let's not fall off on the other side of the horse. Paul says he's going to be all men, you know, all things to all people. And that means he's taking cultural, ethnicity, experience, history, all those things into account to proclaim and expound the gospel to a particular people. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and so, yes, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh in some sense, but in, but not in all senses. And, and, and that's the thing that I, I literally say that to my kids all the time. I say it to my confirmants all the time, you know, whenever you hear, you know, something in the Bible that says, you know, do this or don't that, don't do that or, or be this way or be that way, in what sense? And the, mm -hmm. and the context and the particularity of the command or injunction is going to determine in what sense that's true. So right. we're not going to regard anyone according to the flesh, whether they're male or female, you know. So, well, you know, Mrs. So-and-so um, is, is a woman and she's interested in the church, but, you know, uh, her, hus her husband's a pagan and, you know, she used to be a prostitute or an adulterer or whatever. Well, according to the flesh, she's still someone who Jesus died for. And so we, you know, we want her to be a part of our community and mm -hmm. part of, you know, the, the Christian church. According to justification, we are not going to regard them according to the flesh. And yet the church here is on earth and she is a human being created as a woman. And how are we going to deal with that? And she has lived experiences. And so maybe because of what she's done and it caused a scandal in the community, maybe she's not a Sunday school teacher. Yeah. You know, and because she's a woman, she can't be a pastor and she's not this or that. You know, so, again, in what sense does earthly do earthly things matter? You know, mm -hmm. and, 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 and so in the Old Testament, we see this played out in Israel's history and in its civil codes. And this gets us back to what we talked about before. The, 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 this is so critical where you have all these people who want to be Marcionite Gnostics who say the flesh means nothing. You know, Israel was just about producing the Messiah, so we can't learn anything from them. I'm, I'm making a caricature. Caricature. Few people go that far, but that's the effect. And, and instead we should say, no, Israel was given a revealed code from God himself, building upon what he had already done with Israel, building upon his own natural law, building upon the circumstances and the particularities of these people and what they needed uh, at, at a particular time and place and as a particular people. And so we have a God revealed 
code of ethics, if you want to say that. And while we shouldn't say we have to take over everything, you know, exactly the same way they did, because it wasn't for all mankind and all nations and peoples and places and times, what they're doing by definition wasn't sinful. And so this helps fill out the picture of how complex the picture is and how much room there is to maneuver and to debate and discuss and actually sometimes have disagreements as brothers in Christ. For instance, non-Israelites joining the congregation. Mm-hmm. You know, under the modern definition of partiality, um, uh, so there's two definitions of partia- partiality that are at work um, running around the church right now. One is an egalitarian definition and one is a biblical definition. The egalitarian definition is that if you treat anyone differently than anyone else, sometimes as a subset based upon descent, then that's partiality and that's sinful and that's wrong. That's very egalitarian and mm-hmm. it could work the same way when it can't, comes to men and women, men and women um, or age, as you brought up. Um, and, and that's not a good definition. The, the, the true definition of partiality is that you have a civil code or even a churchly code and traditions and customs um, that does make distinctions. And you take a case, uh, let's, let's stick with the civil code, and let, let's say that you have a man who's very rich who, um, you know, cheats or steals or does something wrong to a poor man. Mm-hmm. And you, because he is rich, because you want to curry favor with him, because you just don't like the poor man, because he's a poor man, you rule against the law, against morality for the rich man. That is, that's partiality. That's mm-hmm. wrong. Isn't that kind of what is happening when we take on the spirit of the age? Yeah, absolutely. That's the sick thing. So many people are claiming that, you know, we got we, we, we got to be clear with the sin of partiality and yet they're committing it. It's, it's, it's really ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what's not the sin of partiality is what we see in the old Testament. Uh, so for instance, non-Israelites would oftentimes want to join the congregation of Israel. And of course, the, the the nation of Israel, the uh, you know, religion and civil life were far more integrated than you know in most modern countries today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which which is fine. That's that's a whole other uh, diversionary topic. But uh, but um, you know, so someone wants to join the congregation of Israel fully. Um, there there is many places in the books of Moses and later you can, you you know, talk about Ezra with intermarriage with non-Israelites too, but especially in the book of Moses, you have distinctions about who can join the congregation when. And uh, sometimes I I don't want to get into all the particulars, but sometimes you can talk about two generations, sometimes three, sometimes 10, sometimes never. Mm -hmm. Now the never doesn't mean that they can't be a believer. And they can't be saved. Like I said, civil and religious life are highly intertwined. And God gives room for there to be more or less intertwining. But like I said, that's another discussion. But um, 
I, I, I again think that it's a mistake for people to say that was only about unbelief. That was only because these non-Israelites were pagans. Um, you know, the, the, the Egyptians, um, presumably the, the Egyptians that came with them uh, from the Exodus, but maybe other Egyptians too, were given more preference and they had a shorter track, so to speak, than some of the other tribes surrounding them. And now you might say, well, there's history involved there and there's circumstance and there's locale and proximity and culture and other things that play into that. And I, and I would respond, yes, of course, because it's very particular. And yet also, if God through Moses only wanted to have it based on um, belief, then what would he have said? You know, just with unbelievers. Yeah. If, if he just wanted it to be unbelief, then anyone can be in. Yeah, anyone can be in or because of history and culture and experience and everything else, it's three generations or any unbelievers, right? Yeah. So this is an absolute lock, stock, and loaded barrel argument that nations matter, that descent right. means something. That some people, um, because of, yes, their culture, history, experiences, but also because of descent, can come in sooner, and other people can't. Mm -hmm. Again, not exclusive, you know, not, I mean, believers are believers, you know what I mean? And yet, can they be fully integrated into civil or, as we were talking about the reformers earlier, political life fully? It was not sinful for Israel to take shorter times with some people you know, in somewhat based on dissent and other people longer mm -hmm. because the gospel does not destroy politics and it doesn't destroy familial and all these other cultural, historical, hereditary factors. It doesn't. Right. Same way with owning land. Only Israelites can own land. And in some ways that, that was actually a, a, a more crushing to the sojourner or immigrant or whatever you want to call them uh, to come into the land, um, because, you know, yes, they, you know, maybe they could own a house or, you know, some, some, what we would call property inside a city, but they can't own land because that that's part of Israel's inheritance. Right. And yes, that has lots of, you know, typological, uh, meaning towards, uh, you, you know, inheritance and the promised land and the Messiah and all that's there, but there they are. God's special set-aside nation, not because they were some extra special people. The Bible is very clear that the Israelites were, you, you know, you, you know, descended from pagans, um, that they, they weren't chosen because they were so great, but rather because they were so small and weak. And we see the history of the Israelites and then the Judeans and the Jews, that they, they, they just, they're horrible. They do all these horrible things. And yet there's particularity there. They... They, they make political laws, uh, or rather they follow political laws from God that make distinctions when mm -hmm. it comes to experience and history and heredity and all these things. And, and, and um, I think that's really important. I mean, uh, Matthew Cochran, uh, he's, he's a LCMS layman, great guy. Um, 
he actually had a fabulous post on partiality. I, I gave a thumbnail version of it, but I would encourage people to, maybe you can put that in the notes too, but um, to his post on partiality. And, and that's the thing, like, I know we've gone long, but if that's the thing I could, I could personally end on, I mean, it, the, the situation is complex and we shouldn't be uh, discouraged by that. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't be frustrated by that, but we should welcome that and say, hey, you know what? What a beautiful cornucopia, so to speak. I know that has pagan overtones, but whatever. What, what, what a beautiful cornucopia. What a beautiful diversity. And that has modern pagan connotations. What a beautiful multiplicity of nations we have. And how much does it behoove us to appreciate it yeah. and think about it and care about it and and acknowledge and observe and notice the differences so that we can truly love our neighbors. And there's a lot of room to discuss and to maneuver and there's there's a lot of complexity and when people just want to smash it down into kind of like a mayonnaise sandwich white toast understanding of humanity or mankind Mm -hmm. it's not helpful at all and that that's the way forward yeah It, it it seems like something i'm always talking about to my congregation which is you know the world is looking for answers to their depression and to um, all of the evil that they can see around them. The church has the answer. Why don't we just tell them? Why don't we just speak this answer? And it sounds like you're kind of saying the same thing. Like the, the Bible has the answers to these things. The Bible does give us a way forward, and it's not the way the world thinks about this. And the world is actually... Or, or people are looking for a real answer, a real way to talk about these things. Why don't we give them that? Because it doesn't accord with the spirit of this age. Yeah. The spirit of this age is egalitarianism, and it's to smash everyone down into some mayonnaise, white toast understanding of everyone's the same, and we only consider individuals, and that's not biblical. It's, yeah. it, 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 it is satanic, actually, mm-hmm. because it wants us to deny reality. It wants us to uh, not observe what God has done. And it's to not care about particularity when, like you said, the Bible has answers. I mean, the Bible is all about the history of, of mankind, mm-hmm. um, both individuals, families, tribes, nations we have a table of nations and then mm-hmm. lo and behold we have a genealogy right to abraham of how god's going to partic- take a particular person and a particular family and a tribe and later a nation and save all of humanity and so it's not either or it's mm-hmm. it, it it's acknowledging it's not everything but it's how, not nothing <laughs> yeah it's not everything but it's not nothing and and why not be interested yeah. and and why be so quick to dismiss these questions why because the spirit of the age doesn't want it and yeah. if it accords with the spirit of the age, we've got to be very suspicious mm-hmm. about pushing us away from particularity because we yeah. should care about particularity, about, uh, about male and female, about um, in, in the fallen world. We do. We do have the rich and the poor, the slave and the free, you know, the, 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 the winners and the losers, all these kind of things. And we do have the nations. 
and 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 we should care about these things so that we can walk a good pathway and teach people how to care about this stuff and uh yeah i mean it's so so you recommend reading the dissenting opinion or the minority report as we've been calling it uh, Matthew Cochran's post, what other things would you suggest to help get the right frame of mind, frame of reference, uh, to approach these complex, difficult issues in the way that is biblically informed? Yeah, I, I, w- I would definitely start with the minority opinion because it was written not that long ago. Um, I mean, almost 30 years ago, but, you know, um, it, it gives a window in to the debate and very good critiques um, by well-respected men still living, most of them. Um, so I'd read the minority opinion, uh, and I would, uh, yeah, if you if if you want to go down the partiality side of this, I'd read Matthew Cochran's post. Very excellent. I'm I'm glad I can send people to that from now on. Um, I would also maybe check out my 2020 talk keynote at the Bugenhagen Conference on uh, Racism in the Church. Uh, I entitled it after these two opinions, but then I put the subtitle, Overcoming the Idolatry of Babel. Um, That's kind of more big picture, but I still think it's Mm -hmm. helpful. But honestly, what you really want to do after you you read or listen to those things, Walther is our LCMS Missouri Synod patriarch. Um, read Walther on slavery. And um, he really doesn't just talk about slavery as such, but he delves into the spirit of the age and the underlying factors um, about destroying particularity. And, you know, he he goes Mm -hmm. after the Enlightenment, all these other things. And he also has this whole host of quotes from Luther and Melanchthon and all these other Lutheran church fathers. Absolutely excellent. And then also um, Luther... Uh, I'm sorry, Walther on communism and socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, those those two works by Walther uh, really get down to the bedrock and really show what the true threat is. And um, that that's what the devil wants to tear away from us. He wants to destroy the particularity of reality so he can destroy the particularity of who we are and the particularity of what God's done for us. And uh, we got to fight against that. And if we can actually talk as brothers, and if we can actually talk about the facts and reality and the particularity of uh, God's creation and redemption, then we'll be moving in the right direction. But if not, yeah. it's not going to be good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and insight, uh, bringing all of these resources to uh, our site and hopefully for further discussion and and helping forge a way of dealing with these issues in the future. So thanks for your time. Yeah, glad to be on. <laughs>